You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. Hey, good morning. Good. Uh, We're going to start this new series called We Are. uh, And why are we doing this? Did you guys know that this month our church is going to be three years old? We're going to be three years old this month. That's pretty big. That's good news. Right? I'm... uh, Where's the time gone? Where has it gone? I feel like we were all just toddlers. Um, Yeah, so, you know, what we want to do is we want to talk about what has made us so far. Our church has thrived and it's grown and it's done a lot of great things. Uh, And we thought it might be a good idea to actually go back um, and remember why we are what we are in the community that we are. And so just like we did our baby dedications just now, and I said we want to impress this upon our hearts and put this upon our lips, it's the same thing. We want to talk about our vision, who we are as a church, and our values, what we stand for as a church. And so uh, about two and a half years ago, we sat in a room. And as we sat in this room as a staff, um, we argued and then argued some more. And then we argued a third time. And then we prayed. And then we talked. And then we argued again. And what we did is we came up with four values that we felt fit our vision. Our vision is to see lives and neighborhoods restored through Jesus Christ. That's our vision. It's big and it's bold and it's audacious. But we have these values. What do we want to be known by? And so we said we want to be known by our generosity. We want to be known by our humility. We want to be known by our diversity. And we want to be known by our community. That's how we want to be known. And so today, I'm going to talk to you about community. Now, Some of us have been at this church for a while. We've been here for a couple of years. And this is going to be a reminder. This is, that's what it will be for you. It will be a reminder of who God is and what's God, what God has done. And it will be a reminder of, of uh, the way that church should look. Some of you are new to our church. And if you're new to our church, you're going to get a bit of our DNA. You're going to see what our church is made up of and the way that we operate and the things that we care about and the things we stand for. So we are going to talk about community. And because we're kind of you know, throwing it back and talking about the beginning again, I decided that I would... Um, give a message today that's a little different, eh, maybe a little different than what I normally do. I'm just going to tell three different stories, okay? I'm going to tell three different stories to you today. So the first story that I want to tell you today is I want to tell you a story about my neighbor. I want to tell you a story about my neighbor named Mr. Brennan. Uh, Mr. Brennan lived next door to us. Mr. Brennan was an alcoholic. Uh, and Mr. Brennan wasn't any kind of alcoholic. He was like a super alcoholic. Um, Mr. Brennan, uh, once a week, would fall in his house or maybe on his stoop and the ambulance would have to be called. Usually this happened in the middle of the night. So, you know, as a 9, 10-year-old kid, and my sisters were younger, 6 and 7, it was scary, right? Because in the middle of the night, you'd hear the ambulance, you'd hear Mr. Brennan yelling, and, uh, and this happened once a week. At times, Mr. Brennan would pass out in the street. You'd have to go get him out of the street. There's times Mr. Brennan would pass out on our lawn. We'd have to get him off the lawn. Um, one year, Mr. Brennan, he, uh, he burnt down his house. I don't know how he did it. Somebody told me he owed a lot of money, and it was arson. But his house, he burned it down, the house next door to us. And um, you know those trailers, the emergency trailers that you have to live in for like three weeks or whatever until you get back to normal? He lived in that emergency trailer in the front yard for a year and a half while his house was just, you know, wrecked. And me and my friends went into that that trailer. We just looked through the window one day, and, and I'm not even kidding. Literally, there were beer cans four feet high, four feet high, and there was room for a bed, and that was it. That was all that was in there. Uh, Mr. Brennan uh, would yell often. He'd yell for us. He couldn't come up our stoop, so he'd yell, Hey! 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 And me and my sisters, my parents would be at work, and we'd be scared. 
and the neighbor across the street would run over. I grew up on Long Island, so she'd be like, you're scaring the kids. Go back to your own house. Leave them alone. And I'd be like, thanks. Her name was Janet. Thanks, Janet. So, but it was scary, right? This was my neighbor. My neighbor in my community was Mr. Brennan. That's who it was. We're talking about community today. What does community mean? What does community look like? Uh, Here's what we wrote down on our website. We said, when we, invest in, when we invest our whole selves in vulnerable and imperfect community, committed to living out our stories together, we build honest relationships with one another and restore God's intention for his people. That's what we say community is. And so I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that I, as I look out today, there are plenty of people at this church that have had their lives changed by this community. We have lifelong friendships that we would not have if not for this community. I see that. I'm looking out. I believe that. I feel that way about many of you. And if our church were to, leave to, were to disappear tomorrow, I think that a lot of us here um, would still have these lifelong friends that happened because of this church. It'd be sad, though. I'd be sad. So, you know, this is one of those things where we've done a really nice job with community. We've done a nice job sharing stories. We've done a nice job being honest with one another, sharing our our lives together, and yet, but I think there is a symptom, right, and maybe a symptom of humanity, maybe, a symptom of our humanity, is the fact that when we build community, we often want to build community with people who are just like us, right? So people will say about that, that church, I'll, I'll say I'm the pastor at Forefront, and people will be like, oh, you're that church where everybody's this way. And I'll be like, no, we're not, but you know. There's a sense in which we want to build community with people just like us. They want, we want people who look like us, who make as much money as we do, people who have the same values that we have, people who have the same backgrounds that we have. Sometimes we even um, we couch it. We say, we say things like, we want people who have Christian values. That's who we'll hang out with. That's how we're going to do it. We, we, we make excuse out of it. One of my best friends, uh, she, she said to me, you know who I love? She said, I love Donald Trump. And... <laughs> And I'm just going to go ahead and play my hand here, okay? And she's like, I love Donald Trump because he says uh, everything that, that the rest of us want to say but can't. And, uh, and politics aside, I was like, Donald Trump reminds me of Hitler. And all I hear you saying is that I'm a quiet racist who wants to hang out with people who look just like me. That's what I hear you saying. And she was like, and then we fought for a long time after that. But, <laughs> Uh, that was it. And because at the end of the day, what we want to do is we want to be a, you know, a community where people look and act like us and, and talk like us and do all the things like we do. And, and listen, if you don't like House of Cards, I like House of Cards, we're going to have a real issue. Okay, You can't be a part of the community. This is sort of what we do. right? Like This is how we operate. Um, and so to my friend who was like, I like Donald Trump, I was like, that's ridiculous. If we're a true community, then we love everybody. And then, and then I thought to myself, well... What if Mr. Brennan walked through the doors today? What if Mr. Brennan walked through these doors right now? Would I be happy to see him? And the answer to that is a resounding no. I would not be happy to see him if he walked through the doors. So, there's a lot of work we have to do with community. I want to talk about some of the work that we have to do with community today. Um, 
there's two parts that I want to I want to look at. Okay, there, there's two pieces. One one of these pieces in in our in our statement about community as a church it says we want to be vulnerable and imperfect. Okay, and we'll get there. But what I want to talk about before I want to talk about our vulnerability and our imperfection is I want to talk about how we restore God's intention for God's people. Okay, that's where I want to start because it says when we are vulnerable and imperfect and we're honest, then we're going to restore God's intention for God's people. But it helps to define what God's intention for God's people really looks like. Okay, we've been talking about this trajectory, this arc, right, of scripture, and that we're a part of it, and we're trying to get to God's perfect peace, and God's perfect grace, and God's perfect love, um, and, and, you know, Jesus Christ, uh, through his death and resurrection, allows us to take part in that story, and we've been talking about that, but what does that perfect intention look like? Story number two. It's a story that I'm pretty sure most of you have heard before. Have you guys heard the story of the Good Samaritan? Everybody's like, I guess. Yeah, it, it, we've, heard it, we've heard it so many times, right? This is a story we've heard a lot. Luke chapter 10, I want you to go there. Break out your Bible apps. I'm going to tell this story a little bit differently. I think there's going to be some things that we're going to see maybe that we haven't seen before. So break out your Bible apps or your Bibles. Luke chapter 10. Before we get there, I'm going to tell you a story about the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel literally came from 12 brothers. Okay, they were 12 brothers, they became the 12 tribes of Israel, Israel becomes this great nation, and there are 10 tribes to the north, and there are 2 tribes to the south. And the 10 tribes to the north, they have a capital, and the capital is called Samaria. And the 2 tribes to the south, they have a capital too, it's called Jerusalem. And they are living together as Israel, they're living together in harmony, they're living together, it's this wonderful nation and it's great. Uh, in fact, they're in Egypt, they're helping people out in Egypt and everything else, they come back out of Egypt, they're, they're a nation again, it's wonderful. And all of a sudden, they're attacked by Assyria. Assyria comes and attacks them. So Assyria comes in. And these ten tribes to the north, they're attacked in such a way that they start to believe in the Assyrian gods. They start to forsake the Hebrew god, and they start to believe in the Assyrian gods. Not only do they start to believe in the Assyrian gods, but what they do next is they start to marry the Assyrians. So there's intermarrying going on, which at that time was a big no-no. You didn't do that, okay? And so these ten tribes to the north are worshiping other gods. They're marrying other people. The two tribes to the south are like, what's wrong with you? You're crazy. Why are you doing this? We don't even want to call you Israelites anymore. We can't even say that, you're, that you worship the Hebrew God anymore. We, we don't even want to talk to you anymore. You have corrupted Israel. So instead of calling you Israelites, now ten tribes to the north, we're going to call you the name of your capital. We're going to call you Samaritans because you don't even deserve our name. You are disgusting. And then they hated Samaritans so much that they would go out of their way. When they were traveling, they would go out of their way so that they wouldn't have to go in to this area. Okay, Samaria, this, this capital, and Jerusalem, it was like New York and New Jersey. That's how close they were together, okay? And so it would be like us. Say like we wanted to go to Delaware. It would be like us, instead of going through Jersey, I, I know most of us don't want to go through Jersey, but listen. You know, so it would be like, it would be like um, instead of us going through Jersey to get to Delaware, it'd be like us going upstate New York, around New Jersey, down through Pennsylvania, down through Maryland, and then back up to Delaware, that's what it would be like. We were, you know, this is how much they hated Samaria, the Samaritans. It, the only other way I can describe it to you is like, uh, what if the West Coast all of a sudden decided to adopt all the principles and policies of ISIS and then uh, became soldiers of ISIS? And so you could never go to California and Oregon and Washington again. They were all ISIS. That, that's the, the depth 
in which we're talking here. Do you get the depth of hatred here? Do we get it? Do we feel it? Do we understand it? Okay, now let's go to Luke 10. Okay, Luke 10. So we get there, and Jesus is talking, and he's got all these instructions he's giving to people. And, uh, uh, and this lawyer comes around, this expert in the law. Now, if you are a lawyer, if you're an expert in law, my apologies to any of you here today. Whenever you ask a question, you're not asking a question honestly. You're asking a question because you want to trap somebody. And that's exactly what this lawyer is doing. He wants to trap Jesus. So he says to Jesus, uh, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Another thing we have to know. When you're talking about eternal life in these times, remember, Jewish people are waiting for a Messiah. They're waiting for a Messiah who's going to rule Israel forever and ever, and they're going to be mighty in power. They're not necessarily thinking about heaven yet. And so uh, he says, what am I going to do so I can get in on this power, so that I can rule? And Jesus, knowing that he's like a trickster, he's a lawyer, knowing that he's a lawyer, does what any good philosopher or teacher will do. He goes, well, what do you think? What do you think it means? This is how the lawyer replies. He says this, um, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus says, hey, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But then the lawyer wants to ask another question. So he says, who's my neighbor? Now that's a loaded question. It's so loaded. I'll tell you why it's so loaded. It's loaded because in Scripture, in the Scripture, God says if you see the blood of somebody who is uh, somebody else, they are unclean. They are not your neighbor. If you see a foreigner, somebody like the Assyrians or somebody like the Samaritans, they are unclean. They are not your neighbor. If you see somebody who has leprosy or a skin disease or is not doing well, they are not your neighbor. If a woman is having a period, she is not your neighbor for those days. Okay, so you get really technical. There's a lot of law. And this lawyer is following the law. He's following God's command. And so he says, who's my neighbor? He's trying to trip Jesus up. That's what he's trying to do. So Jesus tells this story, right? He tells the good Samaritan story. A man's walking down the road, gets beat up by some robbers, is left for dead on the road. Jesus is it's the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Here's something that doesn't have a lot to do with the message, but I think it's kind of cool. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho is three feet wide, and there was a cliff on one side of it. Isn't that kind of cool? Anyway, so basically what Jesus is saying, he's like, he wasn't left on the side of the road. You were either going to have to walk over this man, or you're going to have to hang off a cliff around this man in order to pass this man, okay? Jesus is making a point here. It's kind of cool. Maybe it does have more to do with the message. Anyway, <laughs> Jesus is making a point here. So, uh, and so then Jesus tells us that a priest and a Levite walk by. Now, they're both high ups. In the religious world, they both work at the temple. They're both really high ups. They have important jobs. And so Jesus says, a priest and a Levite walk by, and they don't help, right? So basically, they either hung on the cliff and walked over, or they stepped over this man. Now, I used to think they were really bad. I used to think those guys were jerks. Until I found out that in Scripture, in Leviticus... They're said, if you see someone bleeding, don't touch their blood. If you touch their blood, you're unclean and you can't go to the temple for a period of time. So, I have to imagine that these priests, this priest and this Levite are sitting here and they're thinking, and we're getting some feedback off maybe this thing. I'm going to stay away from that. And uh, the, the priest and the Levite are sitting there and they're like, you know what, we could help this man. We could. But then we would be breaking a law of God. We'd be doing that. 
And we wouldn't be able to go back in the temple and our jobs to go in the temple where we might help hundreds, even thousands of people. So I could help this one person and break the law of God. Or I could help hundreds of thousands of people and stay in God's good graces. Hmm. That seems a little bit different, right? Now all of a sudden they're not as bad as I thought they were. So for them to walk by means they decided to forgo one for the sake of hundreds or even thousands. Interesting. And so anybody who heard that story, the lawyer included, would have been like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, what's your point? That makes perfect sense. That's exactly right. That's exactly what they should have done. They're still in God's good graces. They didn't break the law. And then Jesus throws them a curveball. And he says, and then there was a Samaritan. Now, you guys got to understand the power of Jesus saying, and then there was a Samaritan. What if I was telling a story about really good people, and I was talking about really good people, and then I was like, and then there was this incredible ISIS member. Like, what if I did that? Then there was this incredible Nazi, this heart-loving Nazi. Like, what if I did something like that? You guys would be like, what? That's what everybody does. A Samaritan? This is what the Samaritan does. The Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on on his own donkey. (laughs) I'm laughing because I thought it said monkey. (laughs) I I just, and it tickled me dearly. I'm sorry, everybody. (laughs) I'm so sorry to throw everybody off. My fault. Put him on his donkey. Brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So then Jesus says to the lawyer, Who's really the neighbor here? Oh, the the lawyer's response is the best. The lawyer's response is so good. He says, The one who had mercy on him. Why is that response so good? How many people have read Harry Potter? Who's read Harry Potter? What do we say about the enemy? He who must he who must not be named. Why can't he be named? Because he's so incredibly evil. He's so incredibly terrible. And all of a sudden you break the spell by saying Voldemort, right? That's what's going on here. They hate the Samaritans so much that this guy can't even say the name Samaritan. Can't even say it. Anybody have a terrible ex? You don't call them by the name, do you? You say, my ex, because they're so terrible and they've hurt you in so many ways and they're so difficult and they're your enemy and you despise them. You don't even want to say their name. And and it gets us back. What does God intend for us in community? What does God intend for us in community? What's the intention? The intention is community looks like enemy love. Community looks like loving the person whose name you cannot even say. It's loving the person who you despise. Loving the person who has hurt you. It's erasing all lines. That is where God is taking us. This is the trajectory that we are on because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what the kingdom looks like. It looks like enemy love. It looks like loving the person whose name you can't say. Not even loving. Entering into relationship with that person. It looks like entering into relationship with the person who has hurt you and enemies and everything else. That's what God's intention is when it comes to community. Easy, right? 
Thank you, Angela. No, it's not easy. There's nothing easy about that. The truth of the matter is when I'm hurt, when somebody hurts me, it's healthy for us. It's good for us to probably keep some distance, right? That's not a bad thing. So, so if that's what we're supposed to do, how are we supposed to do that? Here's what I can promise you. I can promise you that as a church, we are going to get this wrong. We are going to mess this up. I can promise you that as a church, an enemy might walk through our door, and I hope to God that we do something. But my my guess is a lot of us are going to be afraid and hurt and scared and everything else. And I'm going to tell you something else. It's okay. It's okay. We have the grace of Jesus Christ upon us through the death and resurrection. It's okay. It's okay to feel that way. We're taking these steps. We're moving these steps towards this intention of community that God wants for us. So what do we do in the meantime? What do we do? Third story. Okay? Last one. Story about Jesus and Peter. I think this story shows us what it looks like to live in community right now as our church. We're working towards that Good Samaritan story, which, by the way, do we see that Good Samaritan story is not really a story about good deeds? It's sort of a story about radical community. If you thought of it was a story about good deeds, that's okay. I mean, that probably helps, but it's a story about really radical community. So, so third story, what do we do as a church? Peter and Jesus. Jesus dies, and Jesus is resurrected And when you're resurrected, you're hungry, so you get fish, and you cook it. And so Jesus cooked the fish. (laughs) Took took everybody a minute. Jesus cooked the fish on the shore, and off the shore, Peter was fishing. And Peter was fishing, and, um, and he saw Jesus. And it was amazing, because the last time he truly saw Jesus, Jesus was on a cross. And so, um, Peter, when Jesus was on the cross, was asked by somebody, hey, isn't that your friend up there? Like, isn't that somebody you were with every day for, for three years? Isn't that somebody that you love? And Peter goes, no, I don't know that guy. And somebody else goes, no, that was your best friend. Like, you guys were best friends. I saw you guys hung out together all the time. Like, this was your guy. And Peter goes, no, he wasn't. He wasn't my guy. He does it a third time. No. No, he's not my friend. He's not my best friend. He's not my guy. I don't know him. I don't, I'm not with him. Wow. Imagine denying your best friend. So he sees Jesus on the shore, and Peter pulls a forest gump, and he jumps off the boat and starts swimming towards Jesus. That's what he does. He gets to the shore, and he sees Jesus there, and Jesus offers him some fish, and they start eating the fish together, eating. And Jesus goes, hey, Peter, do you love me? Now, the translation here is incredibly important, okay? What Jesus says in the Greek is he says, hey, Peter, do you agape me? Now, we've talked about agape love before, right? Agape love is this selfless, sacrificial love. It's love that goes beyond yourself, okay? It's, it's better than you. It, it means that you're willing to, um, to love beyond your means. It's sort of like the enemy love we just talked about. So he says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. But Peter says that the Greek translates to filio. Yes, Lord, I filio you, which means brotherly love. It means friendship. So basically, like, I love you like I love the guy I'm going to watch the Cowboys-Giants game with tonight. Like, that kind of love. Like, maybe a little deeper than that. But that's how he says it. Yes, Lord, I filio you, not agape, filio. And Jesus hears it. You gotta imagine Jesus is like, huh, okay. He says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. He asks him the second time, hey, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you agape me? He says it again, the agape, the selfless, sacrificial love. Do you love me selflessly and sacrificially? And Peter goes, Lord, I love you. I love you like filio. I love you like a brother. I love you like a friend. I don't love you agape. 
Jesus hears it again. Alright, feed my sheep. Third time. Jesus goes, hey Peter. Peter, do you filio me? Do you, do you love me like a brother? Do you love me like a, like a friend? And it says, the scripture tells us that Peter was angry. He was angry. And I got to imagine he's angry because he's going, Lord, you asked me if I agape you, if I love you selflessly and sacrificially, and I have proved to you that I didn't. I denied you. When you were in need, I wasn't selfless. I was worried about me and my death. And I said I didn't know you. And and I wasn't sacrificial. You were sacrificial. You were the one on the cross. I wasn't on the cross. I I walked away from you when you needed to me. I want to agape you. I want to love you selflessly and sacrificially. I can't. So Lord, you know I filio you. And I'm working towards agape. You know I love you like a brother. And Jesus goes, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. What does that mean? Every time Jesus says, feed my sheep, he goes, then start my community. Then invest in my community. Then help my community. Every time. That's what he's saying. And I love it. Because in God's perfect world, in this perfect intention, you know, enemy love, agape love, that's what we strive for. That's what we want. But through the death and resurrection... We have this Jesus who offers grace. And so what I hear Jesus saying in this passage is, hey, Peter, I'll take what you got. Peter, I'll take what you got. Lord, you know I can't do this right now. Peter, I'll take you what you got. Go ahead and start community. Lord, you know I want to and I can't. I feel Peter, I'll take what you got, man. Go. Start community. You know how I love you. I'll take what you got right now. Today in this community, you might be new. You might even not... Um, or really understand how God works or how Jesus works or the resurrection works. And you're like, I can't be a part of a community like this because I don't have it all figured out. I don't have my beliefs right. And I'm not exactly sure what to do. And I'm here to tell you today that as a community, we will take what you got. There are some of you here and you're like, oh, I'm hurt, I'm broken, I just broke up with somebody, I still call them my ex, I can't say this by name, and I don't want to get involved for that reason because there's a lot going on and, and, and you know, I'm not sure about the church still, the church still seems weird to me, I'm here to tell you today that as a church we'll take what you got. And some of you are like, listen, I'll come here, but... I'm really struggling to reach out to you know, maybe some of the people that we have that I'm not used to dealing with. I'm here to tell you today, we'll take what you got. Now there are some of you that are here, and you're involved, and you're helpful, you're doing a good job, you're part of the community, and so I got another question to ask you, what do you got to give? What do you got to give? I'm not asking you to give the world, I'm not asking you to go out and love every ISIS soldier that's out there right now, but I'm asking you, what you got to give? What do you have to give? What does it look like? What's it going to be? Because sometimes the thing that we have to give is a simple like smile, it's a handshake, it's a hug. Sometimes the thing we have to give is a cup of coffee. Sometimes the thing we have to give is inviting somebody over for a couple hours. Sometimes the thing that we have to give is a knowing nod. Maybe that's all we can give, what you got to give. We'll take what you got. What do you got to give? Because sometimes what you have to give makes all the difference to that person that's sitting there going, I can't do it. And you're going, I'll take what you got. One time, Mr. Brennan was, um, was yelling in my front yard. And I heard him yelling. And he had yelled so many times in my front yard at this point that my sisters and I were just ignoring him. We were playing Nintendo. I was going to beat World 8 on Super Mario Brothers. And, uh, and my mom was home. And she was upstairs in the kitchen. And, and um, Mr. Brennan, hey, 
hey, hey, my mom goes out there. She goes, Mr. Brennan, what do you need? And uh, he goes, I need to get to the pharmacy. And he was drunk. And my mom comes downstairs. She goes, kids, put your shoes on. We're going to go take Mr. Brennan to the pharmacy. And I was like, no, mom. You know, and my sisters were like, oh, you know, we, we weren't happy. And we put our shoes on. We get in the car. We're in the car. My mom ends up saying, you know, he, she, she walks him to the car and puts him in the car. And, and he gets in. We start driving. And she says, um, she says, you got, you got to stop scaring the kids. That's all she kept saying. Stop scaring the kids. Stop scaring the kids. And he was like, I know, I know. And then finally my mom was like, uh, God loves you. God loves you. And my mom goes, you're a child of God, and I love you. Because you're a child of God, I love you. And then Mr. Brennan started crying. Started crying. He was like, I'm sick. I'm sick, I'm sick. He was crying in the front seat. I'm sick. And we get to the pharmacy, and um, he gets out of the car, and he shuts the door. And my mom says, you know what? We're, we can help. We can help you. If you're sick and you want help, we can help. And remember, you're God's child. You're God's child. We love you. But stop scaring the kids. So... <laughs> So, you know, he shuts the door, and, um, and my mom goes, that's, that, that's the, God loves Mr. Brennan, and that's, that's our neighbor. That's the person in our community. And maybe because we did this thing, maybe he'll, maybe he'll get better. Maybe he'll get better. Our community, the intention of community, enemy love, this powerful, radical, controversial love. I want to get there. I really do. But what my mom was telling me in that car when I was like 11 years old was, hey, we're taking what he's got. And then we're giving a little back. That's what we got to give. And as a church, we're going to thrive. We're going to flourish. When we welcome people in saying, hey, we'll take what you got. And then us in here saying, hey, what do we have to give? And let's let Jesus and his grace and the resurrection do the rest. Amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, <laughs> listen, people are weird and they're hard to love, and it's really difficult. And yet as a church, you call us to love our neighbors. You call us to, um, to show grace. And so allow us to show grace to the people, uh, the same grace that you show to us. Uh, allow that to happen and in whatever way it needs to happen. We ask that your spirit be upon us and that uh, you would speak to us as we, as we speak with those in our city, our friends, our loved ones, and everyone else. And Lord, thank you so much for your mercy when we fall short. I pray this in your name. Amen.